this series that we have been doing on the love of the world. And so this is the last of the five lessons in this. And so tonight we are talking about uh, passing away and abiding forever. Passing away and abiding forever. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. So just as I like to do because it is a great way to make sure that that things uh, lessons get uh, down a little deeper in our hearts and minds uh, just a quick review so we began our series talking about uh, in lesson number one the love of the world so we were told uh, to love not the world to love not the world anybody remember what that word in the Greek for world is Cosmos, right, cosmos. And that word cosmos means an orderly arrangement or a decoration. So just like, just like you see there, the earth and the moon hung in space, it, it is beautiful. And it is an adornment that God has put things beautifully in place. But unfortunately, when we talk about the world, the world has greater definition than just the blue globe that is floating in space. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But, but John writes in this first verse, verse 15, tells us to love not the world. Now that word love that was found there uh, is actually two words in that one verse. They, they derive from the same word. Uh, anybody want to take a guess of what that Greek word we did talk about it, so this is why we do review. What's the Greek word for love in this instance? Take, take a guess. It's agape. Agape is one of those Greek words that's used there uh, when we're told to love not the world. Uh, so agape, what does agape mean? Okay, unconditional love and decided love. It's a choice. So we have to understand that when we're talking that John is saying love not the world, you are making a choice. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a little bit, but, but that word agape is the first usage of that word, but uh, that, that word agape is the noun form. So when we use our English language, uh, we, we have nouns, adver uh, nouns, verbs, adverbs, and all the other things. Uh, so agape is the noun. It is telling you what it is. But John says to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The second usage of that word love is agapeo. So it's of the same, same word, but it's the verb form. Anybody use that, that, that statement that love is a verb? You got to put it into action. How many ladies want your husband to put love into action? <laughs> Amen. We'll, we'll take you to dinner, buy you something nice, whatever. Uh, but love needs to be in action. And so agapeo is the verb form of that. So John is, is admonishing us not just to, to have not the, 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 the thing, but don't put it into action either. Does that make sense? So in other words, that's the way you're living. The way you're living. Uh, so, so love not the, the world, neither the things that are in the world. Uh, and if you do these, if you love the world, the love of the Father, he says, is not in you. I'm not going to go back and repeat that. If you want to go back and listen to it, uh, then uh, go ahead and listen to that on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, they are all uh, listed there. The second lesson uh, when John tells us to love not the world, but then he says, neither the things that are in the world. What does he say that are the things that are in the world? What's that? No, it's right there in verse 16. Keep your Bibles open. <laughs> what does he say? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Okay, and then he talks about the things that are in the world. All that's in the world Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. 
Okay, we talked about each of these uh, getting their own lesson. So when we talk about the lust of the flesh, what is that word lust? I'm not asking about the Greek, just what does it mean? Desire, strong desire. So, so he said, talks about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. So there's a strong desires. So what is that word flesh? What is that? Hmm? It's our sinful nature. Yep. It's our carnal man. In other words, what we talked about in that lesson was that is the basest form of who we are. That's not who God wants us to be. That is the lowest of, of our being, of our existence, is our flesh. He, God wants us to come up higher. He wants us to be better than the lowest because everybody can just do what the flesh wants to do. Anybody can do that. You often hear people call it our animal nature. Okay, well, that, well if, a, if it's an animal nature, the animals can do it. So, so should we not be better than that? Does God not have a higher calling than that for us? Yes, he does. So the lust of the flesh is the, the strong desire to do the things that please the flesh. Okay? We, we talked about in that lesson that the, the flesh is at war. It's at enmity with the spirit. Thankfully, Paul was, was vulnerable enough, transparent enough, that he told us that he even exhibits or, or struggled with that. That there is in his body a war going on. So it's, it's okay, it's understandable that you struggle. But what you've got to make sure that you do is struggle hard enough to overcome the will of the flesh. Don't give in to the lust of the flesh, the strong desires of your carnal, basest man. Everybody with me? Okay. Because we understand that the result of lust, that when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. So, so if, if we give in to the basest part of our living then we are going to die, not just physically, but spiritually. Okay? That's what happens with lust. So, lust of the flesh, it's giving in to the carnal, fleshly desires and wills. So then we talked about the lust of the eye. What is that? The doorway. It's the, it's the, it's the how much of our learning do we take in from our eye, from our vision? Some say approximately 80% of what we learn, we learn through the, the gateway of our eyes. Okay? So it's that important to us to make sure that we are protecting what we are seeing. That's why we talked about what Job said. He said, I've made a covenant with my eye to set no wicked thing before it. Okay? These are the things that are in the world. The world is not just the globe. It's not just the blue ball in space. The world is, is the, the philosophies and the ways of living of the society around us. It's, it's the way of living in sinful nature. Okay? So that's the, the world is, is at odds with God and His way. Okay, so lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and then we talked about the pride of life, pride of life. Um, so in that pride of life, uh, we, we did talk about the fact that, that we, how we treat a gift reveals some things about us, right? You remember what it reveals? It reveals three things. So... So how we treat a gift tells us how we feel about the giver of the gift. How we feel about the gift itself. And how we feel about ourselves. Good job, Sister Summer. Okay? So how we treat the gift that we are given 
tells us and everybody else what we think about the gift giver. Do we respect them? Do we love them? Do we appreciate them? If we don't treat the gift very well, that means either we don't like the gift or we don't like the giver. Or we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. So how we, how we treat a gift or receive a gift tells us what we think about the giver, about the gift, or about ourselves. And so when we talk about the pride of life, we have been given every moment that we breathe, we're given a gift of life. But also, Jesus came that we might have life and that more abundantly. So he's come to make sure or provide a means or a method that we can be saved and live eternally. So if we take that gift and we are so prideful in our own selves that we don't think we need to live the way Jesus wants us to live, then we don't treat that gift with the honor and respect that it should be given. And the writer of Hebrews tells us, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So we talk about the pride of life. So each of those lessons, go back, you can listen to them in depth uh, and get more understanding if you miss those. So that was the lead-in for tonight's lesson. This is the final lesson. So we're talking about the last verse here, verse number 17, all of the stuff prior leading up to this. Verse 17, he says that the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So basically, it's a matter of contrast. It's a matter of contrast. What is contrast? The Cambridge Dictionary defines contrast first as a noun. It is an easily noticed or understood difference between two or more things. In art and photographs, contrast is the difference between dark and light colors or dark and light areas. It also defines it as a verb. It means to compare someone or something with another or other or to show the differences between two or more things. Everybody with me? If you know what contrast is, you, you don't really need the definition. If you were listening to the definition, you probably got lost. <laughs> All right, let me help you out. Contrast is the tool by which we can find and see the difference. Now, how many of you ever use a computer screen? Or, it, or maybe if you have a TV one of the settings on either of those screens is that of contrast. You might have played with it just to try to find the, and make the picture look like you want it to look, but did you understand it? <laughs> Someone said no. <laughs> so when you're using your, your screen, there's that option of contrast. The more contrast that you choose, the greater the difference is between the dark and the light areas of the picture. Okay? The less contrast you choose, the more alike those colors and, and uh, dark and light become. So what was black and white become now gray. Everybody with me? So the greater the contrast, the greater the difference. The less contrast less difference. It's important to understand that because that's what John is talking about here in this verse. Obviously, he didn't have a computer screen and that's not what he was talking about. He's talking about our love of the world. Okay? So, uh, so we see that uh, you know, when we talk about contrast that uh, on computer screens, we see the difference there. So why am I talking about contrast? We are faced daily with choices or the choice to stand uh, in either comparison or contrast with the world. You can either stand in comparison or contrast with the world. How alike are you with the world? How, how similarly do you live like the world? Can the world see a difference in you? Can you see a difference 
in you than the world. That is what we're talking about, contrast. Can the world see when you got saved, the people around you, they didn't know how to put their finger on it, but they said there's something different about you now. Right? Contrast. That's what's happened is now all of a sudden there's a difference. You can see the difference between the light and the dark. Okay? So if, if the knob of your life or in our generation, the buttons of your life are being pushed on the, on the screen of your life, if they're being adjusted, would the choices that you're making every day bring you into closer likeness with the world? Or would it create a starker contrast or difference between you and the world? Everybody still with me? This is what we're talking about with these lessons. It's what John is talking about when he, in, in this text from his first letter. He's talking about how we, are, how we are to stand in contrast or indifference to the world. You see, the scripture is full of examples of contrast. Let me just walk you through a few of them. In John chapter 1, so this is not John's first letter, this is the gospel of John. Okay? John chapter 1, verse 1. Look at this with me. I would encourage you to even memorize this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not that's contrast they don't mix they're different the darkness flees when the light shines okay so we see contrast let's go back let's let's uh, take a similar uh, uh, version of that let's go back to the beginning in genesis chapter number one Verse number one, you can probably quote this with me. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, and it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Do you know when the hardest time of day to see a difference in the surrounding area behind you or around you? What's the hardest time to see the difference? We call it dusk. It's when, it's when the, the, the sun is setting and the and, 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 uh, the. the sun is going behind the, the earth or whatever, however, I'm, I'm not smart enough right now to detail that. But basically the light is going away and the darkness is coming. Okay? That's the hardest time for us to see the difference in the surrounding around us. It's one of the hardest times to drive. Because you can't see the differences in colorings and shades and all of those things. Okay? We see contrast when God calls uh, Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse number 1. The Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. He was calling him out and away, setting a difference, setting a distance between Abram and his family. Because there needed to be a difference so that Abraham could fulfill the call of God on his life. We see it deeply expressed in the book of Exodus. When Moses is called out and he's given the law, in Exodus chapter 8, verse 23, he tells Moses, he says, I will put a division between my people and thy people. Tomorrow this shall this sign be. So Moses is talking to the Pharaoh 
you're going to see the difference, Pharaoh. There's going to be a division. There's going to be a separation. Let's look and see what that separation looks like. In chapter 11, verse number 6. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall there be, shall be like it any more. But against any, any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that you may know how the Lord does put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. God was working to bring his people out of slavery, out of bondage. And in doing so, he was showing Pharaoh, showing his own people that there needs to be a difference between Israel and Egypt. When the plague of darkness came, the Israelites that were in Goshen still had light. Because there's a difference. There's a contrast. In Exodus 20, verse 2, God says, I am the Lord thy God, which has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. Why? Because they are serving a God unlike any other God. There were going to be other nations that they would come across and come against that they serve false gods. They serve multitudes of gods. And, and Israel was not to serve those false or other gods. They were to serve the one true almighty God and him alone. And to make sure that there was a difference between them and the other nations and the God they served. They were not even to make graven images to show the God that they serve. Lest they worship those images like the other nations do. We see it in the tabernacle in the wilderness. The tabernacle in the wilderness, the, 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 I'm, I'm not going to get into the depth of the tabernacle, but, but the surrounding curtain of the tabernacle was to be made of white. And that white, you think about it, how, how that, those white curtains would stand in contrast, stand out among the backdrop of, of the surrounding area. And the tabernacle was to be a beacon for when people were coming home, they would see the tabernacle at a distance. It was to be a beacon to the stranger that they would see the tabernacle, the center of their worship. And that was where God was dwelling among his people. We see it with Joshua. Joshua 24, verse 14. Joshua uh, says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Verse 15. If it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But Joshua said, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There is a contrast. That's what he's talking about. We see it in the book of Esther and the book of Ruth. Esther stood in contrast with Haman, that evil man. Ruth stood in contrast with Orpah, who went back to her people. We see it in the prophets like Jeremiah and Daniel. Jeremiah preached when it was not uh, convenient or easy or being received. Daniel had to stand in the midst of corruption, and he became a target. The three Hebrew boys, they stood in the midst of everyone else who bowed. We're talking about contrast. There's a difference. There's a difference. We see it in the book of Acts in the New Testament. The preaching and teaching of the apostles in the midst of a society that wanted to kill them. And so many other instances in Scripture. But we're also shown, John shows us a final contrast. He shows us here in this letter, in verse number 17. He says, the world is going to pass away. 
and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. There's going to be a difference. And it's not just going to be noticeable. The world's going to pass away. But he that does the will of God will abide, live forever. Amen. So that world, that, that Greek word, cosmos, we described it as an orderly arrangement, as uh, decoration, decor. Uh, but there are multiple definitions of that word that are used in Scripture. Uh, the three definitions that we talked about, the world is the sum of all created things, the universe, that's the globe that we've been looking at. It's also the dwelling place of man. It's just where we live. But the third de definition is the dwelling place of sin or fallen creation. The fact is, in reality, is that any of those definitions, all of those definitions, all of those things will pass away. The chair that you're sitting on right now, the building that we're in, the house that you live in, the car that you drive, the digital currency in your bank account, because nobody carries cash anymore, it's all going to pass away. Let me just read you some scripture about this so that we can understand what is happening. In 2 Peter chapter number 3, verse number 7, Peter writes, and he says, But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the, is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Thank God for it. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So there's hope. However, but the, day, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Folks, that needs to wake us up. Because everything that we are living in, everything we're living for, in this world if what you're doing if all you're doing is trying to work and make money if all you, you, you put value in is your family and your friends and your relationships in this world although those things are, are each nice in their own way and, and we, we love those things in their own way and all the other things of this world everything associated with this world will pass away. But when we look for Christ, what we do for Him, how we live for Him, will bring a great recompense of reward. And one day, when the Lord calls us home, whether before he comes or when he comes, when we get to be with him, none of this stuff is going to matter. You're not going to take it with you. And quite frankly, if you did take it with you, it's just going to sit in the drunk drawer because it's just not worth it. <laughs> That's a little cheeky way to put it, but but it, there's, a, there's no value. Isaiah says that the grass withers and the flower fades away. The world has an expected end. But John says the world is going to pass away and the lusts thereof. 
Do you hear that? And the lust thereof. So, so he is talking about all the things that are in the world, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The world is going to pass away and the lust thereof. Solomon, that great king who had so much, he was wealthy beyond compare, had wisdom unlike any other. He made some poor decisions in spite of his wisdom. With all the money he gained, with all the wealth and the power that he had, with all the wisdom that he had, he gets to write this book of Ecclesiastes. And when you read that book, it is the lament of a man who realizes that all of his living was worthless. Listen to what he says, Ecclesiastes 1, verses 2 and 3. He says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man of all his labor which he takes under the sun? Vanity of vanities. In other words, emptiness, emptiness. Everything is empty. Jesus says in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, he says, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Folks, that, that needs to stir us up. That needs to change our thinking and our way of living. I'm not going to read through this, but I, I give you the scripture for those that are taking notes. Uh, the context, I've talked about it a couple times in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 15, the man uh, who uh, Jesus told the parable of that he um, uh, had just taken in harvest and he was going to build his barns. He was going to tear down the old ones and build new ones. And he was going to take his ease. But Jesus said, thou fool, you didn't realize that your soul was going to be required of you tonight. So the world's going to pass away in all the lust thereof. But I love the promise. I love ending things with hope. John says that those things are going to pass away, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Wow. If I'm attached to and tied to the things of this world, folks, they will be the, the anchor to you. They will keep you from the reward that God wants to give you because you're attached to these things more than you are to Him. We need to release the things of this world. We need to let those things go. And grab hold to the hand of Jesus. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Basically, it comes down to your will. When we talk about contrast, how different are you willing to be like from this world? Are you willing to stand in contrast with the world and its philosophies and its ways of thinking? And that is going to be put to the test more often today than it has been throughout history. It comes down to your will. Whose will do you want to do? You've got a choice. When we talk about agape love, that was how we started this all out, it's not just unconditional. It's decided. It's a choice. You choose to love. So are you going to love the things of this world? Are you Are going to love this world and all that it has to offer? Or are you going to love God and doing the will of God more than anything this world can offer you? Folks, this is not me. This is, this is the scripture. This is the word of God. It's your choice. It's your will. I can't force it on you. In this contrast, you choose the way, whether it be the world and its desires and lusts, or God's will and His desire. The will of God. That's God's desire. When Jesus was teaching disciples 
told him that his mother and his brethren were there. He asked the question, who's my mother or who's my brethren? And he gave them the answer after that. In, in Mark chapter 3, verse 34, he said, Behold my mother and my brethren. He looks at the crowd. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. In the Greek, this word uh, will is uh, thelema. It is determination or choice or decree. It is desire or pleasure or will. The world's will or God's will. The flesh's pleasure or God's pleasure. The eye's desire or God's desire. The psalmist recorded that the path of life is simple. In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Why do we need to choose anything different? The path of life the world's going to pass away. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The path of life in his presence is fullness of joy. His right hand pleasures forevermore. Paul tells the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, be not conformed to this world. Conform means that you are being put in a mold. You are the one being shaped. You want to make a difference in those, this world? Don't be conformed to this world. Because if you're being conformed to this world, you're being just like the world. How do you expect to change the world? So be not conformed to this world, he says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when that happens, what does he say? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to live forever. I want to live beyond this life. Because folks, I don't know about you, I don't want to live forever in this body. <laughs> not only are there, well, I'm not going to go there. I don't want the aches and the pains. I don't want all that that old age brings because it's just, it just like your mind is young, but your body just is not with you. Can I get an amen? And so I'm not talking about living forever here. But there's a promise of life eternal. The last mention of the statement in Scripture, the will of God, I'm, I'm skipping through some things. I'm being, trying to be aware of time. But the last mention of the statement, the will of God in the, in the Scripture, is found here in our text. If you do the will of God, you will abide forever. Just like Adam and Eve, they had the choice. Oftentimes we miss it when we read that story. They had the choice. There were only two trees named in the garden. What were those trees? Say them loud because you got to stand in contrast to everybody else. Tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What would happen if they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? They would die. That was what God told Adam. So, if they ate of that tree, they would surely die. But if they ate of the tree of life, what would happen? They'd live and live forever. That's why they were kicked out of the garden. Read your scripture. So they had the choice right there before them, life and death. Folks, let me just ask you, which would you choose? I hope you choose life. I hope you choose life. But Eve was deceived, and she ate of that tree, and she gave it to Adam, and he ate. 
They chose death. They chose death with all of its pretty packaging because that's the problem is Eve saw that the tree was good for food. She took it. She ate it. But they had the choice. Life and death. Just like in in, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, God speaks to his people and he says, Behold, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And just in case you're like Adam and Eve, let me give you the answer. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. But what did they do? They chose death to turn from God. We see it again in in the Gospels. When Jesus is, is being called out to be crucified, Pilate says, I don't, I don't find any fault in this guy. So he says, I'm going to try something. I'm going I'm to bring the worst criminal in the prison. His name was Barabbas. I'm going to bring him out. I'm going to offer him up and say, you guys choose. Barabbas was a thief and a murderer. So standing before the crowd that day was life. That's why Jesus came. And somebody who was already proven to be a murderer, they had the choice of life and death. What did they choose? Give us Barabbas. They chose death. Folks, how often in our daily living are we choosing death? death we're choosing the ways and the things and the philosophies of this world that are going to pass away but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever hallelujah the psalmist said blessed is the man Psalm 1 verse number 1 blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he does meditate day and night he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season his leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper that sounds like life to me praise God And so in this, in this choice of living, we are called unto holiness in abiding forever. We've got to do the will of God. And one of the major points that God has spoken to his people is found in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. He says, you shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. I've severed you from other people that you should be mine. And he tells us to be ye holy, for I am holy. If we are going to do the will of God, holiness means separation. It means separation from and separation unto. Separation from the world and its philosophies, its deceits, its lusts, and separated unto God, holiness, righteousness. Let me put it another way. Separated from death. Separated unto life eternal. That's holiness. That's holiness. So we're called to be holy as God is holy. I'm almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Paul begins to illustrate what this separation looks like. What this this holiness looks like. What what uh, doing the will of God looks like. 
because the challenge is, is that we, much like Adam and Eve, we, much like those in the book of Deuteronomy that were given the choice, those that were given the choice in Jesus' day, we've got choices every day of how we're going to live, what decisions we're going to make, what philosophies and, and, and ways of living that we're going to give ourselves to. So he writes to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship... Remember we were talking about contrast? What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? There's a difference. What communion has light with darkness? Contrast. The more they're alike, the less difference there is. When it comes to God's people and the world, there needs to be a difference, a contrast. What concord has Christ with Belial or the devil? What part does he have that believeth with an infidel? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'll be a father unto you. You'll be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Chapter number 7. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Amen. When we talk about this love of the world that John was talking about. The best way that I have seen, that I have found to protect ourselves, to keep ourselves from, from loving the world and the things that are in the world, the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life, the best way I have found to do that is to separate myself from those things come out from among them and be separate. That's why when, when you get saved, with the help of the Holy Ghost, you don't go to places you used to go. You don't do the things you used to do. Peter puts it this way. He says, he says he's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light which in time past you were not a people, but now you are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. There's got to be a contract, a difference, because the world's going to pass away. Everything, all the lusts that are therein, he that does the will of God is going to abide forever. Let's stand together tonight. what's going to make the difference? What's going to make the difference? I love this, this scripture, Deuteronomy 32, verse 29. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How often do you think about your latter end? The end of your life? Whether that's in the next few moments, whether that's next month, next year. 50 years from now? When's the Lord coming back? How often do you think about this? It tells us that we should consider our latter end. Verse 30. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? Verse 31. For their rock, that's the, the nations around them, their rock is not as our rock. Even our enemies themselves being judges. The enemies, the world around them could see the difference. Can the world around you see the difference? 
God being the rock, the foundation, the center, the cornerstone of your life. Does the world see that in you? Do you see it? If you don't see it, don't expect the world to see it. Sometimes those that, that say that they're living for God, they see more of a difference in their life compared to the Word of God than they do the world. They're more like the world than they are the Scripture. This is what God's calling us unto. He's not calling you to the way that the pastor tells you how, you, how to live. He's calling you to do His will. If you do His will, you will abide forever. How do you know His will? It's right here. Get the Word in your life. Hide it deep in your heart. Guard your heart. Out of it are the issues of life. I want life eternal. Amen. Lord, we love you tonight. So thankful, Lord, for your word. Thankful, God, for the calling that you have given to each of us to be holy, to be separated, dedicated unto you. That, God, we don't have to be tied down. We don't have to be anchored to this world and the ways and the philosophies and the thoughts of this world. That, God, you're calling us out. I pray, help us, Lord, to shift, to shift our affections from this world, from this life, from the cares and the, 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 the problems, the issues, Lord, that, that we stop putting our, our affections on uh, all that is around us, Lord, and we start setting our affections above. Lord, I pray, help us to understand, as your word says, that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Help us, Lord, to set our affections on things above, not on the earth beneath. God, we know that all this earth is going to pass away one day and all the lust thereof. But God, help us, Lord, to walk in your will, to know your will and have the courage, Lord, that when your word and your spirit speak into our lives, that we will receive it and change. I pray, guide us, Lord, lead us this week. Bring us back Sunday safely. God, I pray every day, help us, Lord, to make those decisions that uh, keep us in contrast with the world and the ways of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.